Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're taking listener Monica's suggestion from way back in 2018 and kicking off a whole month exploring one of our most essential baking ingredients, flour. From plain to strong, or all-purpose to whole wheat here in the United States, we've got you covered as we dive into an amazing selection of traditional and alternative flours available today. We're starting off with an ancient grain and tossing it into some ginger cookies for a small, elegant batch that could be perfect for tea time. And since we're always watching our pennies, we'll talk about how to store your flour properly so you don't have to toss it. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, here on Preheated, we're celebrating flour in the month of March, but there are some other national food holidays I'd like to give a nod to. So many. Let's hear them. Well, today, March 2nd, is Banana Cream Pie Day. (laughs) That one sounds really good. I hope all listeners are celebrating right now. (laughs) I would love to say I am recording this episode while eating a piece of banana cream pie, but alas, it will have to wait. Oh, I wish. Listener Barb makes an excellent banana cream pie, so I might pull up her recipe and see what I can do. I dearly love a banana cream pie. Are you a cream pie, you know, in general, are you a cream pie person? You know, I am a coconut cream pie Mm. or a banana cream pie. Mm -hmm. I am not a chocolate cream pie person. You've never had my chocolate cream pie. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Next time we're together, let me make it for you. I promise I will change your mind. Mm. Oh, I'm excited. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But anyway, uh, kudos and celebrations galore, I'm sure, happening here on March 2nd, Banana Cream Pie Day. If you're not a banana fan, hold out until Wednesday because on March 4th, we've got Pound Cake Day. Oh, yes. Also known as 450 Gram Day here in the UK. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I dearly love a pound cake. And I want to point out that one of the great things you can do with pound cake, if you weren't already aware of this, Mm. is to chop it into small cubes and dip it into chocolate fondue. So (sighs) if anyone has some extra pound cake lying about, I just wanted to toss that out there. Yeah. And you know, if your pound cake is a little on the stale side too, I think that's excellent. Mm -hmm. You can toast it kind of even and then put it pancake oh oh gosh yeah so delicious i hope if any of our listeners are celebrating these holidays this week they will let us know on our facebook group or on instagram with some pictures yes please at preheated pod on instagram i'd love to be tagged in your photos well andrea it's not only the u.s that's celebrating some food holidays this week here in the uk it's british pie week oh exciting now andrea A lot of these names I'm going to throw at you are going to sound familiar. First of all, British Pie Week was started by an old friend, Jess Roll. Jess Roll prepared pastry. Remember them? Oh, we did our Cornish Chunkies. (laughs) How convenient. (laughs) Jess Roll. We like their prepared pastry, by the way. So in 2007, they decided to start their own holiday. Why not? British Pie Week. In addition to those Cornish Chunkies, Andrea, that we did in episode 147, if you want to celebrate this week, consider Paul Hollywood's Pork and Apple Pie, which we did in episode 64 from his amazing cookbook, Pies and Puds. 
I still think that's one of my favorite episode titles. <laughs> Wasn't it something like, nothing says I love you like a pork pie? <laughs> like a savory pork pie. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Chocolate. Yes. Yeah. Flowers. <laughs> or with our husband's pork pie. <laughs> We did a preview review of a savory steak and ale pie that was from a great cookbook and actual restaurant here in London called Pie Minster. And yes. that featured a homemade rough puff pastry that I did. And that was back in episode 113. So if you're wanting to celebrate here in the UK or wherever else you may be listening in the world, those are just some great suggestions. But again, we'd love to see whatever you are are baking up this week. Yeah, especially, I'm glad you brought that up because I do love a savory pie. And of course, mm -hmm. here on Preheated, we tend to focus a bit more on the sweet. But if anyone's got some savory pies that they've been especially TNT proud of, they know they turn out, I'd love to hear what you're making because I do dearly love a good savory pie, especially in the winter. Andrea, am I remembering correctly that Listener Genie makes a killer quiche yes uh-huh because yes, i think right. of savory pie that way as well like a good flaky pastry and a delicious quiche filling yeah that's one of the few disappointments in my marriage uh, you didn't know we were gonna have this talk today did you wow flower power here we go yeah yeah is that my husband doesn't like quiche oh really it's so sad because i love it so much but yeah. it's basically been reserved as kind of a brunch item for me that i order when we eat out because i can't get through a whole quiche by myself no it's odd. My daughter feels the same way. They both like scrambled eggs. They both like pastry. But for some reason, they just don't like the whole quiche put together pie. Next time we're together, then we will eat quiche and chocolate cream pie. Yes. <laughs> it's a date. Our first week into flower power, and we are kicking it off with a recipe called Double Ginger Spelt Cookies. Now, Stefan, you discovered this mm. recipe, and I have a feeling I know why it popped up on your radar. Gosh, I think so many. I mean, ginger... Love ginger. Yes. Golden syrup. Yum. Brown sugar, butter, uh, other of my loves. <laughs> Let's see. An interesting thing that's not specific to this theme month but is true of this recipe is that this is a small batch. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking. Okay. Okay. When I pulled this recipe and I printed it out, it comes from the Dalesford Cookery School, which yep. I'm also curious about. But Immediately what I noticed is that it has a small serving size. I believe it was 10. It does say 10. Yes, makes 10. Yeah, makes 10 cookies. So I absolutely love that. And when you look at the amount of the ingredients in it, you know, you'll see that same thing. It's 65 grams of butter, 65 grams of soft brown sugar, 100 grams of the white spelt flour. So very small amounts. And I thought to myself, oh, I wonder if Stefan originally grabbed this recipe yeah. when she was planning small yeah. batch month and then when she saw that it contains spelt she thought aha I'll save it for our flower power month. I think that's exactly my thought process. Indeed. And so what were you doing looking at the Dalesford Cookery School? Do you know anything about that or was that just a website you stumbled across? Dalesford is a very well-regarded institution really here in England. They have cookery schools, they have floral arranging schools, they have a farm and cookery course in the Cotswolds as well as in London. They also have organic cafes they're very much a lifestyle store, so they sell those flowers. They have a variety of classes, everything from, you know, bread making to fermenting to flower arranging, and they're very well regarded. I've eaten at their cafes. I have a good friend who has been to many of their classes. They do retreats out in the Cotswolds. I would love to get out there and do that. So they're kind of one of the pioneers of organic, of farm to table, especially here in England, and they do a beautiful job. So I think these cookies are 
going to be a nice introduction to that company and to their cookery courses and recipes, as well as to this flower we're kicking off with spelt. And I just love that you picked this recipe for our first foray into Mm. a non-traditional flour because I think sometimes people are intimidating. They don't want to buy a huge big bag of spelt flour if they're not sure Mm. how they're going to use it or where they're going to use it. I'm lucky enough to be able to get spelt flour in the bulk section in my co-op. Okay. So I can get a small amount that's required here in the recipe, only 100 grams. I know that here in the U.S., Bob's Red Mill sells a bag of spelt flour that also is not terribly huge. Yeah, and here in London, I can get it easily. There is an organic local miller called Dove's Farm, and we'll talk more about them in a moment, but it was very easy to find at several of my grocery stores. And I think spelt is a nice entry point as well. It's a very soft flour. It has a very uh, low protein, so it's going to be hopefully helpful after You make these cookies and may have some still left over. Yes, I agree. I mentioned a few of the ingredients. Let me just run through them again. So 65 grams of soft brown sugar, 65 grams of butter, half a teaspoon of bicarbonate of soda or baking soda, as I would say, a teaspoon of golden syrup, a teaspoon of milk, 100 grams of that white spelt flour we just spoke about, a teaspoon of ground ginger, Mm -hmm. and then 50 grams of crystallized ginger. Stefan, I was thrilled to find that I had every single one of these ingredients in my pantry. How about you? Oh my gosh, I'm actually not surprised, Andrea. You know, another reason that we haven't spoken about for choosing these cookies is what a fan you and I are of ginger cookies. And I almost always have crystallized ginger. I love it just to snack on, actually. You can buy it at the health food store here, which always just tickles me. I go in for my vitamins and I'm like, oh, crystallized ginger. I started crystallized ginger way back in the day when my daughter was getting car sick quite a lot. Yeah. And a couple of different people recommended ginger to me for her to settle her stomach. Alas, it didn't work for her, but I got hooked on it. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's so tasty. And if listeners, if you're not sure what that is, it almost looks like a gumdrop. Remember those old-fashioned candy, a gumdrop? And it's a very minor kind of square, but they might come in other shapes. Kind of square, sticky-sided, and then it has like a sugar coating on it so it's kind of a little bit crunchy and what you will do here usually you have to cut them up they're too big to go into something like a cookie as they come at least mine are yours pretty big andrea yeah mine are definitely more um gumdrop size i think that's probably a good way to describe it and i find that cutting them with a serrated knife tends to work but you could also snip them with kitchen shears because they are kind of sticky now the one thing i wanted to ask i see a phrase in your recipes in the uk quite a bit and Mm -hmm. it's stem ginger yeah stem ginger is different than crystallized ginger yes Yes, stem ginger comes in a jar. You keep it in the fridge. It's in a thick and heavy syrup. It's also delicious. Sometimes they call it ball stem ginger because it looks like it's in a ball. It kind of looks like a large maraschino cherry. So it's kind of soft. No, it's also really good, but you wouldn't want to substitute that because it's very wet. Okay, okay. Good to know. I just wanted to check that out. Yeah. I also wanted to give a little nod to listener Rebecca because back in the holidays, she posted a recipe for her favorite ginger cookie. Oh, yeah. And it's a triple ginger cookie. And so as I was making this recipe, I thought, okay, we're making a double ginger. It's got the crystallized ginger and a teaspoon of the ground ginger. Mm -hmm. I wonder what's in Rebecca's cookie that makes it a triple ginger. And so I went back and looked and her recipe comes from a website called We'll Cook for Friends. 
and it uses the crystallized ginger. It uses the grated ginger okay. in addition to the ground ginger. So it's that fresh, okay. the freshly grated ginger that adds that triple piece. And it had a little note in there in her recipe that I wanted to share that I think will be helpful for us. And it says, crystallized ginger can be chilled in the freezer to make chopping easier. Oh. Because I think since it's kind of gummy, it is. I, I don't know, but I'm guessing, because I never chop it, I'm just throwing it in my mouth. But maybe it gets stuck on your knife or doesn't yeah, chop as well. exactly. That's exactly what happens. Oh, thank you for that tip. I will put it in the freezer, and I'm sure that will make it just a breeze. Yeah. So the method here is fairly easy. This is kind of a make-ahead because you are chilling this dough. Uh, you are going to preheat your oven and line your baking sheets with some greaseproof paper, aka parchment, and then in a food processor, creaming together your sugar and butter, adding your soda, golden syrup, and milk, and mixing well. Now here's something to sift in the spelt flour and ground ginger. I suppose that is entirely up to the baker. I will, of course, be using my hand sifter there. Well, it's such a small amount. I mean, the hand sifter is going to be perfect. Absolutely. I, I will do my best. Okay. We have to see. You have to see what the texture is to you if you really feel no it needs a sift. Well, spelt flour is very silky already. So, yes. you know, maybe mm -hmm. you'll be fine. Then you're going to transfer that to the board, your ball of dough, and knead in the crystallized ginger. So you're going to get that all incorporated and then put it in a sausage shape about 8 to 10 centimeters in diameter. So that's a squat little log and <laughs> resting it. Remember, remember, you're only making 10 cookies. So don't be yes. looking for like a cinnamon roll size, um, you know, right. roll here. And then refrigerating for at least 20 minutes, uh, then when it's chilled. And then when it's chilled, cutting that with a sharp knife into about one to two centimeter thick rounds, baking those off, letting them cool. And then my favorite part of this recipe, Andrea, Cool on a wire rack before serving with a warming mug of tea. I know, just that phrase. I just picture you sitting there mm -hmm. in the afternoon, mm -hmm. the sun streaming in through the window, oh. reading your ladies' magazine, having your ginger cookie and your cup of tea. It sounds so delightful. I can't wait. I can't either. I'm so excited to start with this one. So we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be great. I can't wait to see what our listeners think about this, and I can't wait to see how mine turn out. Andrea, we've come to part of the show that we're calling a dramatic reading from the Dove's Farm spelt flower flower bag. <laughs> no podcast episode is complete without a dramatic reading every once in a while, don't you think? I do. And as I mentioned, the brand of spelt that I found here is called Dove's Farm. They have been around since the 70s. They are an organic farm. They also mill their own flour. And I just thought that the language on the bag explained so much about this first flower that we're doing in a very lovely way. So I thought I would share it with you. Yeah, I feel like your Dove's Farm is the equivalent to our Bob's Red Mill in the United States. So we've got that folksy sort of background mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. Bob, with his gray hair and his hat and the employee-owned company. And, you know, you definitely get a real strong feeling about Bob and his alternative flowers. So I can't wait to see what Dove's Farm portrays when I hear this dramatic reading about their flowers. <clears throat> Spelt, or Trictacum speltum, is an ancient species of wheat, which we have been growing on our farm since 1996. First cultivated over 9,000 years ago, it is a cousin of modern wheat and warrants a mention in the book of Ezekiel in the Bible, as well as being favored by mystics and herbalists throughout history. Legend has it that the Roman army called spelt their marching grain. This organic spelt grain, we carefully mill and sieve out the coarse layers of bran and create a beautifully soft white flour. 
Spelt makes excellent biscuits and has a distinctive nutty flavor, which is delicious in bread and pastry. Hildegard of Bingen praised it in the 12th century, <laughs> and it has once again become popular with chefs and nutritionists. Well, if Hildegard likes it, I'm in. <laughs> 12th century. I mean, we're not joking. This is an ancient grain. It really is. I do want to point out that it is a non-wheat flour, but that does not mean that it is gluten-free. Oh gosh, I had no idea that was even possible. Yeah, so okay. a, a lot of people who have wheat sensitivities and maybe are gluten intolerant mm -hmm. prefer spelt flour, okay. but since it's not gluten-free, if you have celiac, then don't think that you can have this. So I just okay. wanted to make sure that was clear. Well, thank you. Yeah, I would not have, have guessed that but I thank you very much for that PSA. Yes. Well, remember, we will have links to our double ginger spelt cookie from Dalesford on our website in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 166. And we'll also post a link in our Facebook listeners group. Stefan, last week we gave a quick rundown of all the various types of storage containers our listeners use for their flour. We sure did. As part of our monthly pantry purge tip, one of our 20 for 20. Having the right containers can make it a lot easier to immediately see what's in your pantry and keep it organized. I find that's especially true these days with the explosion of different types of flowers that are available in the market. Most pantries used to have just two or three flowers on hand. You'd have your all-purpose, a whole wheat, or maybe a bread flour, and perhaps a cake or a pastry flour. Whereas right now, I personally have nine different flowers <laughs> in my pantry and my freezer, at least that I can see. I've got all-purpose, whole wheat, cake flour, self-rising flour, einkorn, pastry flour, spelt, and two different kinds of gluten-free flour. Oh my gosh. Of course, these beautiful containers are always a good place to start, but today we want to focus on some additional tips to keep in mind and make sure your flour is properly stored. That's right. It won't matter how pretty your shelves look if your flour isn't fresh and tasty. I currently have plain, whole meal, rice, spelt, icorn, rye, buckwheat, self-raising, and bread flour. Not to mention corn flour. Haha, -ha, that's actually a British pantry pun. <laughs> well, you have 10 kinds, I've got nine. We've both got a lot of inventory to protect, oh, so yeah. let's get started. The first tip is one I saw in several different articles, but I personally have never followed it. Thank goodness I've never needed to. It's the suggestion that when you first bring your flour home, that you place it in your freezer for 48 hours to kill weevils or insect eggs. Ugh. Oh. oh, Andrea, gross but true. This happened to me. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, years ago, I bought a box of cornmeal. And while spooning out a portion for cornbread a few days later, I discovered it was alive. Ugh. Of course, I ended up throwing it away, but I also pitched all the other bags of stuff that had been sharing cupboard space with it just to be safe. I know this can be a big concern for folks in warmer and humid environments especially. My mm -hmm. sister-in-law in Miami, for example, seals all of her baking goods up very tight. But speaking of, the next tip is related to the type of container used to store your flour. We mentioned last week in episode 165 at the top of the show, so we won't go through all the brand names again. But keep in mind, you're looking for something that's food grade, airtight, and leak proof. Although we each do a lot of baking for our show, I don't buy flour in those 25 or 50 pound bulk bags, although I know that some of our listeners do. Yeah, listener Robert, who is a professional baker, and listener Heather, who likes baking in bulk for her kiddos, they both come to mind. 
I imagine they have to use those big food-grade bins for storage like I see at my co-op in the bulk section. Mm. If you're tight on space in your pantry or your cabinets, keep in mind square containers take up 25% less space than round ones. Also, I buy in small quantities, usually a five-pound bag of regular flour and one to two pounds of those specialty flours. With my smaller quantities, I'm able to keep my flour in my pantry or in my freezer. You want an area that is cool, dry, and away from sunlight. And different types of flours have different shelf lives. Refined flours, think all-purpose or plain flour, self-raising rising flour, Bread flour and pastry flour have had the germ and bran removed from the wheat before crushing, so there's less oil, which means a longer shelf life, like one to two years. Whereas whole grain flours, such as wheat, spelt, teff, quinoa, millet, barley, ancient grains, buckwheat, oat flour, or rye, contain the germ from the seed, which is suspended in oil, and so it could go rancid more quickly, even in a few months. The freezer may be a safer place for your whole grain flours, and if you don't have enough room in there, perhaps the fridge. Nut meals and flours such as almond or hazelnut, coconut flour, wheat germ, rice bran, flaxseed meal, and hemp seeds have high levels of oil, and you definitely want these in your fridge, where they'll last six months, or your freezer, where they'll last a year. Yeah, that makes sense. I already store most of my whole nuts in the freezer for the same reason. I always wondered what a rancid nut would taste like (laughs) until the day I tried a walnut that had gone bad. I tell you what, I'll never forget that taste. Well, fresh nut flowers should taste sweet and nutty, while rancid ones will definitely taste bitter. Speaking of rancid flowers, your nose is still the best guide for determining whether flour has gone bad. Get in the habit of opening new bags of flour when you buy them and taking a sniff so you know how fresh flour should smell. Then you'll find it easier to identify when it's turned rancid. I read various descriptions of the smell of rancid flour, describing it as musty, dusty, containing a sour note, burnt rubber, and pencil erasers. Oh, pencil erasers. (laughs) We recommend writing the date of your flour purchase on the bag or on a piece of tape placed on your container so you can keep track of how long you've had it. And don't mix your old flowers with your new flowers. Empty the container completely before adding your new flower into your bin. And if you've discovered some bad flower or have some well past the pull date, you can toss it in your garden or compost bin. Waste not, want not. <laughs> also, if you periodically wash your containers, which you should, be sure to let them air dry overnight so there's not a drop of moisture left that could ruin your fresh flower. Listeners, we'd love to hear your flower storage tips or lessons learned. Send us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or drop us a post in our Facebook listeners group. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning and next week we'll find out if spelt has earned its place on our pantry shelves. Listeners, we promised you more pie this year and next week is when we deliver with some cute hand pies made with einkorn flour. And finally, we'll put on our lab coats and talk about the technical side of flour. From protein content to hydration, we're getting into the science when we pull into the Intimidation Station. Thanks, as always, to Anne-Marie Russell for supplying our theme music. You can find Anne-Marie on Amazon and iTunes or at annemarierussell.com. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. 
Now, guys, if you like our show, we're always asking you to tell a friend. And what we'd really like for you to do is not just tell a friend, but write a review in Apple Podcast. Yes. We haven't seen one in a while. We know that we have some listeners who have discovered us recently, and they have written us wonderful, kind, amazing private messages. And we're asking you to take a little extra time and put that message up in a review on an Apple Podcast. We'd really appreciate it. We always see a bump in our listeners when we get a new review. So that's one way you can help us if you're so inclined. And you know, Andrea, I think it's true what they say that the best way that we achieve more listeners is by those reviews. People are very much inclined to go by a recommendation. And it really, as you said, we get a huge bump even with just one new review. It's so true. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.